Ornan has been trying every way that he thinks might work to get Eugenides to take the reins of power. Mostly, I think he's put his faith in rational argument, and he lectures Jen every opportunity he gets. It has only just dawned on him that if he succeeds, Eugenides will be king of Tolia. And that is not happy news? King is emphasized of Atolia. Is that the book we're reading? Hello, nefarious thieves. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is in six months and two days. It's February 23rd, 2020. This episode, we're doing something we haven't done before. We're breaking a chapter into two parts. So, between this episode and the next, we'll be discussing chapter 12 of The King of Tolia. We learned our lesson from chapter 11, which was <laughs> so long. Today's talk will take us through the scene depicting the king's royal tantrum. That's to the top of page 328 in the newest edition, for those of you who are reading along, which means, unfortunately, no Costas. A costless week here on the Atolian Archives, but next time we'll be very Costas-centric. In the meantime, our discussion today includes Helen, the Magus, Eugenides, Atolia, Relius, and Philologos? Remember that guy? There's a lot of talking about Jen in this first half of chapter 12, and I'd like to draw attention to I wrote down all the adjectives that are used to describe him, and the list that I ended up with is nefarious, underhanded, incorrigible, pleasant, irreverent, distracting, young, afraid, stubborn, and strong. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> we see him from Relius's perspective, mm -hmm. and we see him from Atolia's perspective, um, through uh, her talking about him to Relius, and then we see him from his attendant's perspective again. Mm -hmm. And Helen's in um, the Maguses too, I guess. Yes. Which, apparently, the two of them are on first name terms. <laughs> or at least the Maguses. We don't, I guess... Bold of you, Magus. <laughs> yeah, we don't even know his name. Yeah. It's a Minister of War situation. Mm-hmm. I think Megan Wellen Turner said somewhere on the internet that they do have names, but that she knows in her that head. She knows in her head. Ugh. That's I'm interested in that choice because there are other characters whose name it whose names it took us a while for us to learn, mm -hmm. like Helen yeah. and Atolia. Um, but there was a moment where we gained access to that intimacy, but it hasn't happened with either the Magus or the Minister of War, both of whom are older and male and sort of paternal figures, and I don't know if that's a factor or if it's just a coincidence. Yeah, and, you know, I would think at first, like, okay, the Minister of War, we know him in his capacity as the Minister of War as well as Jen's father, but the Magus is a character who's central enough that we... He's very developed as a character. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. But we don't know. I don't know. Well, like, we don't see his family. Yeah, we don't know. We know some things about his past. But not really about him as a person, I guess. Like, just thinking about, like, all the things you would know about someone if you made friends with them. We don't know. 
yeah. those things. Although Helen has apparently made friends with him. I guess. It's nice to be reminded now and then of that, you know, things are happening off the page that we don't see. Yeah. And that being kidnapped really worked out for the Magus <laughs> at the end of the day. And they talk about Sophos! Yeah! Sophos! Yeah! It's a, it's a Costas-less section, but it is... There's a Sophos presence. Yeah. One point for Sophos. It says that the Magus is uh, conscious-stricken to have been safe in Edis while Sophos uh, was abducted. Even though his presence there wouldn't have wouldn't have done any good. And it says that before Sophos was abducted, his uncle, the king, had sent him away from the Magus, fearing the Magus' influence or something. Mm-hmm. Sophos going missing is both... Um, they're worried about Sophos because Sophos is their friend, but also it reopens the possibility of Helen having to marry Sunus. Mm-hmm. And there's that idea again of Jen is going to have to start making decisions for the good of nations and not to individuals, no matter how much you might love them, I think is the phrase. Yeah. Um, and that is the fact that that comes up during this discussion between Helen and the Magus because. It's an acknowledgement that in becoming king of Atolia, Jen will have decision-making power over Sunus and Edis, even before mm-hmm. that exists in any sort of official capacity. Right. Which is, I feel like that's the first time I really see that acknowledged in the series. That his, I mean, like, this is the first time we've seen people picture what his growing power is going to mean. Mm-hmm. for the peninsula now that you know he's kind of moseying his way into it i guess king edis emphasized of atolia <laughs> <laughs> it's explained in conspiracy of kings that sophos prior to this point in the whole series had proposed to edis but this is the first hint we get of that right when edis is saying right here apropos of nothing except that he's just gone but if he she says, but if he is gone, if he is dead and not a hostage somewhere, would you see me marry soonest then? Implying that otherwise she would marry Sophos. Yeah, and it had been previously discussed as a possibility. Like, they'd exchanged letters, mm. they liked each oh, other. Oh, I forgot about that. They might have, but it, that's really, like, she's acknowledging that yeah. if he hadn't gone missing, that would be the plan. The thief of Edis has a certain freedom to do whatever he wants and an accompanying responsibility and let's just think back to I can do whatever I want. Yeah. We get we get a lot about Jen as thief and thieves in general in this chapter that I feel like we haven't we haven't this amount of detail about it hasn't been revealed to us before. And I think uh like it can really tell us a lot about Jen's motivations in the past mm-hmm. for why he is the way he is. Um Helen tells the Magus, The thieves never swear loyalty to any ruler of Edis, only to Edis itself. The thieves of Edis have always been uncomfortable allies to the throne, Magus. There is the niggling fear that if you fall out with a thief, he might see it as his right and his responsibility to remove you. There are some checks, of course. There is only ever one thief. They are prohibited from owning any property. Their training inevitably generates... The isolation that makes them independent, but also keeps them from forming alliances that might become threats to the throne. And then in the next scene with Relius and Atolia, Relius says, where is it written down? 
he says of Jen, he has had very little company in his life and he isn't used to it, that this being in public. But there are other words for privacy and independence. They are isolation and loneliness. And that's his argument for saying, uh, he, uh, drive him out. Whether he wants to or not, he belongs in the open. So he's making the argument that not only does the nation need Jen to be a king, but Jen as a person needs this needs to step out more and mm-hmm. form connections i guess is jen always going to be to some extent cut off from other people well there's the argument that royalty all royalties necessarily cut off from the people below them yeah in a way but he at least still does have his own wife at his level of society and you know helen and sophos and whatever so all I don't of know. those relationships are yeah. colored by this, I want to say professional, uh, this like official yeah. dynamic right. that is layered over the personal one. Like Jen, he goes from one type of isolation to, to a another. different type. <laughs> is what it feels like to me. Yeah. There's a parallel in this way with Irene we see in this chapter. She's always been set apart because um, it says... She raised her head and he was aghast to see her eyes bright with tears. I am tired of driving people and forcing them to my will. I am like a war chariot with with bladed wheels, scything down those closest to me, enemies and my dearest friends alike. So she's also someone who has been isolated and lonely, as I think we've brought up many other times. But That scythe imagery continues. Is there something in that about, like, tools? Feeling like she's a tool? Yeah. And that makes me think back to the thief and the idea of tools. This is really uh, snowballing. (gasps) No, yeah. I mean, I think these connections are there for a reason. I think this is a big theme. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to to bring up that uh, this metaphor for driving people and forcing them to her will is something that she's tired of, that she's been doing for a long time. But for Jen, on the other hand, it's kind of like he's entering into this stage. Yeah. But also, no. he's he's always sort of done that. Yeah. And she says specifically that Jen he's, is used to wielding power right. in secret, which we've been talking about for this whole book. Another thing about this scene that I need to point out is that Atolius says so to Minas, yeah. which I'd forgotten. And because I associate it with Costas, I think of it as like something that, like, like Costas isn't a working class person, but he's a soldier. And he's like a rough around the edges uh, and the fact that she also uses that little Implies piece of dialect. It's not just class specific, yeah. It's Atolian. Yeah. And also, it might reveal something about the comfort that she feels with Relius. Like, yeah. It is casual language. Right. Yeah, there's a lot in this scene about how close the two of them are and how close Relius and Jen are becoming. She says that he's been, she's learned that. Um, if we truly trust no one, we cannot survive. And that he's now reached a new level of trust where um, she trusts him unconditionally. Jen is so annoyingly likable. He comes and he hangs out with Relius. Other nights he related the events of his day, spewing out his insights and analyses of the Italian court in a devastatingly funny critique. And they talk about plays and poetry and history. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Stop that! Be less good at stuff! 
I want the house that she offers to give Relius. I know. Can't just give it to me instead. <laughs> a study and a courtyard and land in the back for goats. But he dream. doesn't take it. I know. Because he's devoted to her. An idea that is resurfacing here is I think we had talked before about the idea that in this book, a trick is being played. But whose trick is it? Mm-hmm. Or, or whose joke is it? And the fact that uh, like Jen is maneuvering all of these pieces behind the scenes in order to arrive at this end goal. But we find out in this chapter that he's only doing that because Atolia specifically gave that goal to him in order to spur him to do this specific set of things. Mm-hmm. And so behind it all, there's him. And then behind <sighs> him, there's her. I feel like there's a joke to be made here, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Something about Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> it's her strategy. Because he wanted something. And she said, okay, you can do that if... <laughs> yeah. Cause so he wants to reduce the guard because it's dangerous to have a guard that large who could eventually turn on them. And she wants him to be king, so she says, you can reduce the guard when... You ask Teleus, and Teleus will say yes. And Teleus will only say yes when he thinks Jen is a king. So Jen has to be a king for Teleus to say yes. And she wants him to be king, so that's why she's like, oh, convoluted. <laughs> yeah, Jen really, uh, he looked at that goal and he picked the most roundabout way to get there. <laughs> First, I'm going to let a dude punch me. Not the dude I want to convince. Another dude. <laughs> then we're going to go in the garden and we're gonna learn about wheat it's like this enormous one of those huge domino chains (laughs) Sejanus is gonna come back yeah the fact the fact that he ain't dead that it's a a flashing red light yeah i did not i never like that never registered for me on any other rereads but i read that today and i was like Never I'm, I'm betting right incarcerate now. your enemy in the hinterland. Ugh. It will not end well. Is this where mercy is gonna get us? <laughs> this is this is the actions of people who don't understand that there's gonna be a sequel. <sighs> there's more fallout from the assassination attempt in the form of a temper tantrum thrown by Jen. Like full on, he destroys everything in his room. Breaks everything breakable, rips all the hangings, hammers holes into the bedpost with his knife hand his his knife hand (laughs) oh this is just our harmless friend knife hands mcgee smashes all the inkwells over the walls which recalls irene throwing an inkwell at him Mm -hmm. on their wedding night which is also from this chapter she talks about how they both cried on their wedding night uh and he suggested having the garden she threw an inkpot at him and he ducked (laughs) in that interview that megan will and turner gave um i think last summer the summer before the video interview she said that she had written down that scene the wedding night scene but just cut it out oh i want it she should publish it as a short story sometime (laughs) what do we gotta do what else did you cut out (laughs) Is it Jen's sisters? <laughs> That's I'll never let it go. Where no. are they? We got to see his cousins, Heckle and Jekyll. 
him throwing this tantrum and like destroying everything in this king's bedroom is also like Irene threw all the chairs and the plates when she heard that he and Edith were close or whatever and Queen of Atolia. Oh, yeah. Oh, but what I wanted to say about this is this stresses me out, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> how... Have to clean that up. <laughs> yeah, they're not the ones who clean it up, so that's why they get to do it. But, like, <laughs> ugh, I stress for Philologos and Hilarion. And, like, how... We... What is the number? How expensive is it for this 30 seconds of of emotional release which you know already talked about how expensive all the stuff in the room is the, the cloth of gold it's a king's bedroom oh that was her bedroom that was her bedroom, bedroom. i'm sure I his mean, also has it probably though. right you would think how expensive do you think accumulated goods for a king of a country would be right hundreds of thousands of dollars in our money oh oh stresses me out man it's like this is why their treasury is in movies. <laughs> you know you're an adult when you just sit there and think, "Oh, that's so expensive." But Philologos, uh, instead of being annoyed about that, which I would be, is empathizing with Jen. Yeah. And Philologos, if you recall, is the attendant who was the youngest and the only one who is a direct son of a baron. Uh, and he explains to the others that Jen isn't angry because Nehusaresh tried to kill him. He's angry because he can't go and kill Nehusaresh. Uh, but because he has one hand, because he has he one hand, do that, not he doesn't that. want Atolia to know that he s- still has this level of rage about it yeah it's also um like jen in a really straightforward way wants to go kill that guy which is very different from the jen of two books ago right i mean i would i would want to go kill that guy too possibly that's a line (laughs) i don't know if i would uh tear up my curtains about it (laughs) oh gosh one more thing uh, so we get in the conversation between Helen and the Magus this idea that um, Jen has like a particular sort of power over what's happening on the entire peninsula or he has the potential to or mm-hmm. it will become necessary for him to have that uh, and then in the conversation between Atolia and Relius, uh, Relius says that he sees the possibility of a golden age yeah. so we're starting to get these sorts of ideas yeah the camera's starting to pull back and do a panorama yeah of like this is what it could be not like next week if but you stop being a baby <laughs> yeah let's all just cross our fingers return of the thief ends with it all set up and like okay the means are gone <laughs> Sejanus is dead and Hooserish has died horribly screaming and but nothing now lasts we have a forever age in the eyes of the gods, we are all but dust on the wind, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, you're right. Thematically, don't tell me this. Don't wreck <laughs> my hopes. <laughs> so, moving back to Queen of Atolia, we got a wonderful ask from No Humans Were Harmed on Tumblr saying, um... In regards to Queen of Atolia, chapter 16, where 
we were losing our minds trying to figure out this was when jenna and irene come up the stairs and the ministers are talking to atolia and one minister says he says he wouldn't he said he wouldn't be here so we were trying to figure out what that was um this person says i always interpreted that as he equals jen jen told the adesian troops that he slash jen would not be there when Atolia arrived at the top of the cliff, as in, he never was going to kill her, that was all a bluff, because she would never believe anything different. He gave her the opportunity to kill him, and she was so ruthless, she was going to do it. He was going to bear his heart to her, and even though she thought she would be killed at the top of the cliff without him, he had prepared the Adesians that he wouldn't be there when she arose. He fully expected to bear his heart and then die because he couldn't do anything else. She would arrive, she'd still be kidnapped, Edis would negotiate, the war would end, but he would be dead. I hate it. <laughs> this is some next level. Don't do this analysis. to me. <laughs> There's some we were wondering if Megan Wayland Turner intended for this to be ambiguous at all. Because there were definitely points, like, the way that she talks about the thief is that she expected everyone to catch on really quickly. Right. Um, and then a lot of readers are surprised. And so... She might just be giving us more credit than we deserve. Or, like, maybe <laughs> she... I don't know. Maybe in this theory, Jen said, there's a possibility that she will kill me. And all the ministers interpreted that as, oh, she she's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, they didn't think that um, he would succeed says Edith's own chamberlain brought along to perform the obligatory introductions which she did without a wi- without a whiskers deviation from his usual palace style only once did he falter looking over his shoulder he said he wouldn't be here when the minister said in a caring whisper so he's facing atolia and eugenides is coming up the stairs behind her so he sees he could be seeing jen right then and then looking behind him at a minister mm-hmm. in surprise yeah in surprise and the minister says he says he wouldn't he said he wouldn't be here. Mm, food for thought. I don't know, man. Crunchy and full of fiber. <laughs> That's chapter twelve, part one. Next time, Costas and Jen have a heart to heart and then lovingly beat the shit out of each other. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at atrolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Mm-hmm.